The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. This week on the Pet Buzz, we're talking about how ticks can affect you and your pet. Award-winning author Larry Kay is with us talking about his new book. We will learn about the benefits of trick training for dogs of all ages. This week, we're introducing a new segment on the show called Flex Facts. Today, this segment will focus on taking your pet to the vet. And professor and toxicologist Ibrahim Shakri is joining us again to discuss Garden Hazards for the Pets. Good morning. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. You are listening to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk radio where we want to help you take better care of your pets. We welcome our listeners who tune in each week from around the world. So let's get started with the show. Let's kick off with celebrity pet news. You know, people celebrate holidays in many different ways. So, for example, on Saturday for National Puppy Day, I was spending some time with Hammy and Wally, our new puppies. But Miley Cyrus, she was celebrating by posing for a sultry Instagram photo in nothing but green thigh-high boots and an orange and yellow checkered bucket hat with her pup Mary Jane by her side. She captioned her Instagram post, Happy National Puppy Day, you filthy animals, and then had two paw prints inside her quote. (laughs) As Mary Jane the Pooch that she shares with her husband, Liam Nelson, sat on top of her. I think it was a bit of a risque picture. I don't know. I'm looking, waiting to see for it. I know, but you know, that's Miley. Okay, so let's move on with our global news block. And now, Pet Buzz News from around the globe. So last week, the American Kennel Club announced their list of the most popular breeds of dog in the United States. Once again, the Labrador Retriever came out on top for the 28th, not 21, not 19, but the 28th consecutive year. German Shepherds or GSD dogs placed in second with Golden Retrievers, French Bulldogs, Bulldogs, Beagles, Poodles, Rottweilers, German Short-Haired Painters, and Yorkshire Terriers following for the top 10 spots. This year's list is almost identical to last year's, except the German short hair pointer is now in the ninth spot and the Yorkie has been pushed down to 10. Can you believe that? Yeah, probably because it won the Westminster show a couple years ago. That's a, that's actually a great observation, Dr. Fleck. Well, according to the AKC, German short-haired pointers have slowly grown in popularity since being recognized as a breed in 1930. The American Kennel Club determines the most popular breeds of dog in the United States by looking at their registry and counting the number of registered dogs in each of the AKC's 193 recognized breeds. Yeah, I find the popular breeds fascinating but i'm really interested in what's happening in the individual cities around the country so check this out in new york and la the frenchie or the french Mm -hmm. bulldog rules which i can see that Mm -hmm. two of the biggest media markets in the country a lot of trendsetters in those now in miami it's all about the german shepherd i would never would have guessed that i would have thought the chihuahua would have been a popular dog in miami i would agree 
Right. And then in Houston, Atlanta, Dallas, Chi-Town, that's Chicago, Houston, it's all about the Labrador Retriever. Very, very interesting. Interesting. I know. I know. I'm going to have to start, when I travel to different cities, I'm going to start having to find out what the most popular breed of dog in this area of states is. That's a good idea. Okay, so you got a story. I got the story from Ogden, Utah, and it gave me an idea. Ooh, I like it when you got ideas, Dr. Fleck. Students who go inside the library are getting better reading scores. That's cool in Ogden, in Ogden, Utah. Surprises me. Mm -hmm. It's not that the books are different or even the assignments students are given different mm-hmm. it really has to do with a dog named bentley bentley nice name classic Stud- studies show that students that read with bentley go up half a grade level in half a year more than the students who don't okay just, that's good yeah so so guess what just maybe students who have a dog when they study for their sats won't have to have their parents bribe anyone <laughs> to get higher scores on the test or to get them in school. I think that's a great observation. You said you had another story. I do. A Verizon worker considered a hero by Philadelphia neighborhood for taking quick action to rescue a cat has been suspended by the company, Verizon company, for violating safety protocol. Oh, let's hear about that. Okay. Folks from Port Richmond had been trying for an hour to rescue Princess Mama, a cat who somehow got stuck at the top of a utility pole. Guess she climbed up there. Yeah, I guess she did. So Verizon worker Maurice German was on the scene and he used his bucket truck to rescue the animal. No one was injured, feline or human, but a Verizon spokesman said that German's good deed violated safety protocol and was actually pretty dangerous due to the electrical lines in the area. The company had no choice, it says. That's sad. But to suspend him. How many weeks? His boo. That suspension is three weeks without pay. Oh, my goodness. How's he supposed to pay his mortgage, his car payment and all that? Okay. So to show their support for animal rescue efforts, listen to this ridiculous thing. Verizon made a donation to the Pennsylvania SPCA, an organization that helps care for and provide homes for abandoned cats and other animals. But Mr. German still can't make his mortgage payment. I wonder if he set up a GoFundMe page. Amen. I'd I hope him, he did, I too. I gave him five pages. You got okay, it. Okay, so here's my last story for you. It's a little bit ugly, and I want to really know what your opinion is, everybody out there, as well as you, Dr. Fleck. So the ugly story is about former UFC, that's like the fighting thing, champion, yeah, yeah. Frank Shamrock. He's not real lucky. Well, anyway, he said he <laughs> did everything humanly possible to find his mom's dog at home, and that he didn't mean any harm before he abandoned the dog at at the airport. I know, I know. So let me explain. She's looking at the expression on my face. I know. So Shamrock is under investigation by the police for animal cruelty after he tied up one of his mother's dogs, Zelda, in the back of a pickup truck at Dallas's Love Field Airport and left it there for five Tethered days. Tethered the dog. Right. For okay. five days. Okay. So he explained in a TMZ interview, he went to Texas to tend to his ailing mother. He realized that she was in no condition to own dogs anymore and convinced her that she needed to give him up. So one dog he found a home for. He listed the dog on Facebook, but nobody took Zelda. 
So he said he tried calling all these shelters in the Dallas area, but nobody wanted Zelda. Okay, so he said his search ended right up until the last minute till him and his mom boarded a flight. So he said there was nothing he could do with the dog. So he tied the dog up in the back of the truck, gave her food and water, laid out all the paperwork that explained what was going on. Then he said he called airport security and said, there's a dog in a truck. I'll tell you exactly where she's at. And I want you to go check up on her. So Zelda ended up being stranded at the airport and tethered to the truck for five days. Do you know how big Dallas Love Airport is? It's huge. It's really huge. Shamrock couldn't believe, he said he was in disbelief, that nobody checked on the dog after he called airport security. He said he should have called the police. That's what he said. He said he should have called the police. He takes responsibility for what happened, but he notes that it wasn't through malice or he didn't want to hurt the dog. He just... Didn't have anybody to take it. I don't think anybody wants to hear my comment about this. I know. I know. Can you believe it? I mean, it is just, it blows my mind. It's like I said, it's ugly. And his name should be not Shamrock. It should be Frank Unlucky. Absolutely. I mean, he obviously didn't try that hard. He could have explained the situation. He could have gone to the police. He could have gone to shelters and said, here's the situation. He could have offered a donation. There are other rescue organizations that would have been more than happy that would have helped him. He's a wrestler. He makes some cash. Let him spend a little bit on his I pet. I know. I know. His it's, mom's it's, pet. It's exactly. And how, I mean, his mom was sick. I mean, how horrible it was. I'm curious. Was it his truck? Was it a rental truck that he tied the dog to the back of? And the interesting thing is a couple saw the dog tied up to the truck on the second. When they came back two days later, the dog was still tied up. So if all these details are accurate that you're presenting, I'm not sure I like this guy very well. No, I don't think anyone should like him anyway. So just check him out. Tell him how you feel. Go to his Facebook page. Go to his Twitter page and tell him we pet owners are not going to have any of this. Period. Period. So we're going to take a commercial break and be back with our first guest discussing tick-borne diseases and how they can affect you and your pets. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, visit www.epi-pet.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Pet Buzz this morning. This show is hosted by the Dynamic Pet Duo. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. You know, we enjoy being with you each week talking pets. You know, tick-borne diseases are on the rise and prevention should be on everyone's mind, particularly during the spring, summer, and early fall when ticks are most active. It's especially important to take steps to protect yourself and your loved one. That includes your four-legged family member, your pets, from ticks during the season, as well as any time during the warmer months when you're outside. And joining us today to talk about ticks and tick-borne diseases is Kansas State University College of Veterinary Medicine Assistant Professor of Parasitology, Dr. Brian Heron, 
DVM, and PhD. Wow. Dr. Heron, thank you for joining us today on the Pet Buzz. It's great to speak with you both. So, why is it so important that pet owners learn about tick-borne diseases? I think with that, the important part is the awareness is really the first step to educating themselves and then action. We want our pet owners to know the risks of the tick-borne diseases in their areas and the areas that they're traveling to so that they can properly protect themselves and their pets. And, and that's the main portion of this awareness is so they know how to protect themselves. Because really, you could get sick. <laughs> you and your pet can get sick if you're getting bit by a tick and not taking care of it, correct? Definitely. There's a variety of diseases that are transmitted by ticks. And so each tick has its own different uh, diseases it can transmit. And so I think just understanding that there's no safe tick, right? If you find a tick on yourself or your pet, it's really just best to get it off as quick as possible and have preventives to keep those ticks from attaching or feeding. Okay, so let's start out by you telling us what diseases are carried by ticks that pet and pet owners need to be aware of. I think a lot of people focus in on Lyme disease. It's the big name one, um, but there's a, a variety of them. And unfortunately, none of them have cool names like Lyme disease. So it's like anaplasmosis, ehrlichiosis, babesiosis. And these are diseases that humans and their dogs can get. And while the names aren't as fun and so they kind of get washed away in comparison to Lyme disease, they're equally as um, destructive to our pets and our, and our pet owners. And so really thinking about the variety of ticks and tick-borne diseases that can be out there, um, while it may not be the, the main one Lyme disease that people are thinking about, it really still can be a significant medical problem. Okay, all these other osis diseases versus Lyme from Lyme, I guess was from Lyme, Connecticut. Like, what do some of them do other than, I mean, because we hear about Lyme disease and we know that May is Lyme Disease Prevention Month, but like ehrlichiosis. <laughs> Anaplasmosis. Yeah, definitely, exactly. I think that's why it kind of falls to the wayside because we have this big name and people think, oh man, this is too hard to learn about it. But really, we just want to think about tick-borne diseases. And a lot of them present with just general... Oh, I don't feel that good signs, right? And the pets do the same way. They may be kind of lazy, not feel that great. They often get a fever. Uh, humans do as well. Some of them have joint pain, so they'll start limping. Um, and then as they progress, they may start bleeding, right? A lot of these tick-borne diseases cause bleeding disorders, so um, inability to stop bleeding. So their nose might start bleeding or they're out of their mouth. And so um, that's just kind of from basic ooh, I just feel a little bit bad, to really severe signs there. And, and those are common, commonly seen throughout several of the tick-borne diseases of humans and dogs. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Are they similar, the, the symptoms, are they similar in, in people and in pets? Maybe you can elaborate just a little bit more. Yeah, the, the symptoms are often similar, right? They are going through the same process in the body. They're invading similar cells and destroying things. Um, there are some differences. They may end up, so Lyme disease is a really good example here in that um, we often think of that target lesion that happens on the skin of humans and they see it and they say, oh my goodness, that's scary, this bullseye rash. Well, dogs don't get it at all. And it's not that they're furry and we can't see it, they just don't get it. So there are some nuances that are different between our pets and, our, and humans, but again, we see some really common similar things of, of fever and joint pain and bleeding disorders. 
I think a lot when we talk about these tick-borne diseases, we always think of humans and dogs. Well, do cats suffer? I mean, do ticks transmit disease to cats? Definitely. And, and that's something we really try to stress because cats get several diseases. So anaplasmosis that we talked about with dogs and humans, they also have their own um, specific disease called, called bobcat fever, and it is a highly fatal disease. And so we always encourage our pet owners to have their cats on a preventive as well. And unfortunately, we know that cats are much less likely to go to the veterinarian than dogs are. So they're much less likely to receive that preventive care. But really, those indoor-outdoor cats, which a majority of cats are, really should be on a, a very effective tick control for that reason. So how long after a tick bite is uh, the disease transmitted? That's a great question, Dr. Mm-hmm. Fleck. I would want to know mm-hmm. that. Yeah, this is a question that comes up all the time. And, and veterinarians and, and public alike would want to know the question, like, how soon do I have to get rid of this tick? And a lot of people have the 24-hour mark in their mind because for Lyme disease, it is about 24 hours to transmit. But for some of the other bacterial diseases that we mentioned, it can be less than that. So four to 10 hours and then some of the viral diseases that pop up in the news for humans, so Powassan virus or Bourbon virus that humans get, those can be transmitted in minutes. And so, again, that's when I say, if you see a tick on you or your pet, get it off as quickly as possible. We don't want to leave it on there any time. We don't want to wait around until tomorrow, until it falls off or whatever. We want to get it off now. Well, you know, it's really interesting because Hallie, my assistant, lives down in Alabama and she has a hunting camp that she goes to. And she was telling me, I didn't have a chance mm-hmm. to tell you, Dr. Fleck, I figured I'd wait. And then uh, Dr. Herons ta- uh, interacted with Hallie. So Hallie says what she usually does is that as she's at the hunting camp, they bathe in dog flea shampoo as a preventative. <laughs> I've never heard of such a thing, but I looked it up. I guess people do do bathe in that. So I guess my question to you, Dr. Heron, is how can pet owners protect themselves and their pets against tick-borne diseases? Definitely. So I think the first step is when you know you're going out in the woods in those hunting camp areas, um, out for a hike, um, have a preventive on. And, and so there's a variety of permethrin products or DEET and and DEET is safe for adults, not quite as safe for um, children, um, but permethrin is safe. And and in those really heavy areas like that hunting camp you were mentioning, a lot of people choose to um, use permethrin to soak into their clothing and it will stay there for multiple washes. And so you really, you can soak your tent in it, right? Keep everything away. Um, so it, it's it's good to keep the ticks off of you um, by having that constant permethrin in the clothing. What about vaccines? So for for vaccines, we're very limited. Um, There is a vaccine for Lyme disease for dogs only. So there's not one for humans. And so in those areas where Lyme disease is really common, the veterinarian may recommend that. And and depending on where you live and, and your lifestyle, there's no vaccines for ticks. And so really our goal is to kill them when they attach or prevent them from attaching at all. Well, you mentioned at the beginning of your discussion that uh, a lot of the tick-borne diseases are geographically isolated. So I'm going to ask you this. In the summertime, so many pet owners, you know, they travel with their pets. So how can a pet owner learn about the tick-borne diseases that plague various parts of the country? Yeah, we know 
um, about 40% of our pet owners now travel with their pets all the time. And so it is a growing thing that we're following the movement of diseases based on people's travel. And um, that's why, so the Companion Animal Parasite Council developed a resource called PetDiseaseAlerts.org. And what it is, is it's a forecasting map for the risk of tick-borne diseases in specific areas. And so if you look at the map, you can click on the state, you can click on the county, and not only will it say, oh, this is a high-risk area, but it will say, in comparison to other years and other months, this is a higher or lower risk. And so it's like those pollen counts that would come up on a weather uh, report letting you know, oh, man, the pollen's going to be high today. You can go to this and say, this month, and Lyme disease is going to be high this month. And so we really need to keep our mind on that tick That prevention. sounds great. Yeah. We have about 30 seconds left. So what new developments and leading research regarding tick-borne diseases should we know about? There's always looking at these the preventives and whether or not they can kill these ticks quick enough to prevent those pathogens from transmitting like we talked. And so that's a big deal right now. And it seems like the majority of products that you can find at your veterinarian would work to pre- to kill the ticks before they can pre- transmit those pathogens, which is really the important part there. And I would just say one thing as a practitioner, it's tough to diagnose these diseases. So uh, just avoid darn ticks. So thank you so much for visiting with us today, Dr. Heron. Can you give us a website where we can learn more about tick-borne diseases? Definitely. So there's several resources. The one that we're working with right now is a website that is collecting information on ticks and tick-borne diseases of cats and dogs across the United States. And the website name is Show Us Your Ticks. Dot org. Oh, I like and, that. Show us your tips. Yeah, it, org. It, it's a fun resource. And, and the research team out of Oklahoma State has done a great job of collecting more and more information about the risks of ticks in our small animals. And so that's a really great place to go. That was Dr. Brian Heron, Assistant Professor of Parasitology at Kansas State University College of Veterinary Medicine. Up next, we're talking with my friend Larry Kay about his new dog trick training book. We'll be back in a flash. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. Well, welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm petronologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. You know, committing yourself to teaching your dog some tricks is a great bonding experience. It's also fun for you and your dog, but best yet, you can do it throughout the year. You bet. And joining us today is Larry Kay, an award-winning writer and filmmaker based in L.A. His personal mission is to help families become safe and successful with their pets. Today, we are excited to talk about his new book, The Big Book of Tricks. The Big Book, the big book, book for of tricks. tricks. For the best dog ever, a step-by-step guide to 118 amazing tricks and stunts. Whew. Published by... 
Workman Publishing. Can't forget that publisher. Larry, did I get all that in okay? <laughs> you you did indeed, Dr. Mike. Thanks so much for having me. Well, yes, good morning and welcome to the Pet Buzz. Okay, so let me start right out with this question. What motivated you to write a dog book about dog training? Oh, that I love that question. Uh, you know, I started with dog tricks are cool. You know, they're kind of like magic tricks. And my background is from the entertainment industry and movie making, as you just announced. The deeper I got into it, I realized that there's a deeper truth that dog tricks save lives. Mm. And what I, yeah, what I, what I mean by that is I make films with shelter dogs because I believe that inside of every shelter dog is an undiscovered movie star. So to find those diamonds in the rust, my crew and I make these videos with shelter dogs, which helps them get the best kind of stardom, loving homes. That's great, so Larry. That is great. You'll have to send us one of your short films so we can put it up yeah. right? on our oh, social great. media channels. Absolutely well. You know, I, I met my dog on one of my film sets. <laughs> oh, really? Now, who's the dog on your website that's pushing the ball and eventually jumps up on it? Is that your dog? That is Spider. That is my dog, Spider. Spider's pretty wow. hot. He, he's amazing. As, yeah. as talented as the author. <laughs> Absolutely. That's yes, right. He's, he's actually above my pay grade. <laughs> uh, when I first met him, it was on our 4th of July set, and the shelter brought out 12 dogs. And we began our process of training and trick training and movie making. And there was this one dog who they had named Spider, who was especially rough. And you could barely touch him. He, he's an Australian cattle dog who looked and sounded like he'd walked straight out of the Mad Max movies. So <laughs> when, it, when it came time to do the tricks, uh, the best we could do with him was have him sit for five whole seconds. <laughs> while most of the other dogs, you know, we're taught to sit and pose and even do a few tricks. And naturally, those dogs got adopted right away. But a month later, no one had come for Spider. Mm. So I kept thinking about him. And I volunteered to walk him. I introduced him to the agility course. And he began to open up. And you, you know the punchline is, I decided I was up for a big challenge. I brought Spider home forever. And now he can do more than 50 tricks. Wow, what a great story. It is a great story. Okay, so Larry, let's talk about the book. Because you know, I'm an author, you're an author. We got to sell books, right, man? <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. okay. So let's talk about the benefits of teaching your pooch a trick. Tell me what they are. Right. Dog tricks make a dog sociable. It allows them to go out into public, kind of like a canine good citizen, to be able to interact with people and other dogs. And it builds our bond. You know, a paw shake isn't just a cool trick, but it's a symbol in our visual language, our tactile language of a bond. The paw shake builds our bond. This book is deep, Dr. You, Fleck. I know it. <laughs> 
You know, it's really important. I'm so proud that my co-author, uh, Chris Perandi, and I, we bonded before we had the opportunity to write this book together. We both share this mission to make a difference for shelter dogs. He performs all over the country with a dozen rescued dogs. And it's real proof that dog tricks save lives. And everywhere each of us goes, we bring out that mission. So dogs, dog tricks will unleash a dog's personality. And as I mentioned before, help uncover their inner movie star. Well, who were you really thinking about then when you wrote this book? Who was it for? You know, when Workman Publishing came to me to write a book on dog tricks, I leaped at the opportunity and I presented to them the book that I've always wanted to own. So initially, I wrote it for myself. You know, I own about <laughs> 10 different books on dog tricks that I've been using. And I wanted to write something that would help a beginner get into the world of dog tricks rather than be presented with just a whole bunch of dog tricks and say, choose. I crafted them into training programs. So in the beginner training program, Chris and I selected only 20 tricks. We curated them specifically to teach certain skills in this beginner training program. And you can cherry pick among those. You don't have to go in sequence. It gives you a context for being then able to move on, say, to the intermediate program where we teach more concepts and then get into 33 more tricks that will then create a bridge to four different pro programs. And those are movie making with your dog, which is my specialty, performing live with your dog, which is Chris's specialty, dog dancing, which is Chris's wife's Suhei Parandi's specialty, and extreme stunts and sports, which is their specialty together on their two-acre property in Northern California. They have the All-Star Stunt Dog Academy, which is the home of extreme stunts and sports. Cool. So we help guide you all the way through it. So initially I wrote it for me and then uh, wanted to write it for all those folks who would want to make a difference in their lives with their dog well okay. this is deep it's totally deep uh, so here's my last question larry and we got 30 seconds yeah. what's your favorite dog trick in the book and why <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you my dog's favorite book is he loves to perch on the big exercise ball and roll it all over the studio in fact he's even invented his own trick from the exercise ball he'll hop onto the handlebar of a toy shopping cart and trolley that across the studio. And those are the tricks that you mentioned before that are on the website. And I'm going to put that up so all of our listening audience can hear that. You had your last question, Dr. Fleck. Well, Larry, we, we really do want to thank you for being here. I wish our trick is, is that we want to hear so much more from you. So no, we that's have to ask trick. you to come our back. Our trick is we want Larry to come back and trick train our dogs. <laughs> I would, okay. I would love to. Okay. I would love to. Where, where can we find the book? And how much is it? Well, the book can be found via our website. You can buy it anywhere. Uh, the website is dog 
dogtricksandstunts.com. That's the book's website, dogtricksandstunts.com. The list price is $17.95. I know that I noticed that Amazon was selling it for $12.16, which is really cool. So hot darn, you can get a bargain on the book. (laughs) Okay, Larry, so can we give one of your books away? Of course. Well, the first person who posts a picture of their pet on our Facebook page at the Pet Buzz and tells us what trick you'd like your dog to learn will get a copy of Larry's book for free. That's F-R-E-E. That's great. And I tell you what, I think we're pretty tricky, too, because we know we get him back again. So thanks again for joining us today, Larry. I think you already gave us a website. Could you repeat that? Sure. Dogtricksandstunts.com. Great. (laughs) So that was author of the new book, The Big Book of Tricks for the Best Dog Ever, a step-by-step guide to 118 amazing tricks and stunts published by Workman. Order it or pick it up. It's a gem. We're going to take a commercial break. Come back with a new segment. Get ready for Flex Facts. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Here at the Pet Buzz, we are urban, suburban, and and country. country. Well, as I said, this week we're going to be introducing a new segment, a new weekly segment called Flex Facts. And this week we're going to focus on visiting the vet. Well, if you don't know, visiting the vet for a routine checkup or for a health concern throughout your pet's life is definitely a necessity. To make your visit as efficient and useful as possible, you want to make sure you're prepared in advance, that you use your time efficiently at the vet's office and be prepared to follow up afterwards. You can always prepare yourself and your pet for the visit so that it remains as stress-free and helpful as possible. So Dr. Fleck, let me ask you, in this new segment, Flex Facts, when scheduling your appointment, what should pet owners do? Depends on whether you're scheduling an appointment for medical care or whether it's for preventative medical care. Okay, so let's talk about medical care. Medical what should care, we do? You're going to be emotional. It's a concern. You need to have as much information about what the problem is with that pet that you're capable of, of bringing. So write it down because you'll write it forget down. okay when you come into the office you'll be so emotionally upset write it down okay now you were talking about preventative care your routine checkups so for coming in for preventative care generally speaking you're going to have a wellness exam by the veterinarian mm-hmm. from head to tail right. so you don't really have to worry about prepping yourself so much just be prepared to answer the questions the doctor asks Is there problems with breathing? Is there problems with vomiting? Blah, 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 blah. Okay, I think those are great points. And I also think sometimes things come up too. Like, for example, if you think your pet's nails are a little long, just remind them, say, hey, you know, I'm afraid to cut the nails. Or can you show me how to cut the nails? Because you only go maybe once or twice a year to the vet, right? Good receptionists will almost always ask that when you're coming into the veterinary office. Would you like the doctor or the staff to clip the nails today? And then people will think, wow, my nails are long. 
Yeah, please do. <laughs> Your nails, well, the pet's nails along. Yeah, you know, a this pedicure. Is, now, I'm going to ask you another question because I think I find this really interesting. So especially with cats, I think before they come to the vet, they need to be familiar with the carrier and dogs should be wearing a leash because a lot of times people bring them in boxes or walk into the vet's office with no leash, a string. They forget that other pets are in the in the office, correct? They do forget that, but you got to get out of the house first, especially mm-hmm. with cats. You sometimes pull out that carrier and you're looking for the cat for three days. So you somehow have to make sure that the cat feels comfortable with the carrier. And when you collect the cat, put it into the carrier, even if you're collecting it in the morning for an afternoon visit. So do it as much in advance as you possibly can for the cat. As far as the dog, they always have to be on leashes. Mm -hmm. And when they're in the doctor's offices, they need to remain on leashes. And if you have small dogs and carriers, they need to remain in the carrier until you go in with the doctor's visit. And I think that's a great point. And the other thing, too, is, you know, people forget driving in the car with a loose cat can be really, really dangerous. It's under your feet when you're trying to work the pedals. Exactly. If it gets scared or freaked out. Okay. well, thank you so much for that response, because I think those are really, really important. So basically, control is really key because there are going to be other pets in that office as well. Okay, so. I'm always curious about this because they say when you travel, you shouldn't feed your pet in the morning if you're traveling. So do you think it's a good idea to feed your pet that morning if you have a morning appointment? I mean, think about it if you have a nervous a nervous pet. I happen to agree that we should feed the pet. I think you should have as much normal activity that you would have every day. So if your appointment is for 11, 12 o'clock, please go ahead and just feed like you normally would feed. But... Make sure that you walk the pet before you come. Let them void before they come into the office. Okay. So we talked about bringing notes. Okay. What else should you bring when you go to the vet's office? Well, if you're coming in for preventative care in particular, Mm -hmm. you want to bring a poop sample. Okay. Also, we're probably going to end up drawing blood because we do that once a year for the canines Mm -hmm. for heartworm prevention. So be prepared for that. Um If the dog is a little bit difficult to work with, just be prepared to work with the staff on how to restrain the pet when we have to do the exam and drawing blood, pulling stool if you've forgotten to bring it, etc. So those are the important things to remember. And just don't be nervous. Just enjoy the visit. Oh, so thank you for that, Dr. Fleck. So, uh, you know, one of the things that I know, because I've been in a waiting room a few times, And I'm always curious, like, what should pet owners do if they have an aggressive dog or cat? I mean, you're sitting in the waiting room and I know my Fluffy or Fido or Felix is calm, but I always wonder what happens when those aggressive pets go into the room. How do you deal with an aggressive animal? Do you use a muzzle on a dog if it's aggressive when you're trying to examine it? Does the owner hold it? What Like what happens once you get into that coveted room behind the door? Both of those are options. And we really like if it's a big strapping guy and we've got a bigger dog and the dog is not friendly with people, then we we really like to have our staff do most of the work but it may be more comfortable if the okay, pet so owner can what do you what do you mean but by most we, of the work? You mean the having that your be, assistance be, when your assistance when you you have them restrained so that you can do the physical exam. Okay, you have them restrained so that you can uh, draw the blood from the say the vein in the one of the front leg veins. Mm-hmm. Um, so they need to be under control to be able to do that, and they can't be aggressively 
going after our staff members or after the doctor, uh, or we don't have staff members or doctors to treat anymore. So in many instances, what we do is we have to have muzzles that we put on. We always ask the pet owner if we can do that first. If we can't and the pet owner can't help restrain, then we can't really treat them that way. Occasionally, we have some that are so difficult to work with that they have to be restrained with restraining medication or sedation. But that's very, very rare. Almost in all instances, all pets can be dealt with. With cats, it's a little different story. Sometimes, you know, if you're trying to draw blood from the front leg in a cat and somebody's trying to hold it, and even if you have a muzzle on, they still have claws and they can work at you that way. So in many instances, if they're that difficult to work with, we have a squeeze cage that we can put them in sedate them with medication and then humanely deal with uh, all the testing we need to do. So Dr. Fleck, do you think that people should have a good idea of the rates prior to the visit? And also, do you think it's a good idea to tell them that there might be some additional expenses? Yes, to all of those questions. Uh, Most veterinary hospitals, most clinics uh, have a website and have their their fees already published. And so that's a, a place where you can go look to find out what the cost is of the services uh, that you're looking for. In addition to that, when you call to make an appointment, you should be aware of what kind of a tentative cost it's going to be for what kind of services you want. And you can certainly ask the receptionist and they can provide you with that information or direct you to the right locations to get that information. When you come into the office, and this happens so much because particularly with medical cases, uh, are they serious? Uh, do they require a lot of, of tools for diagnostic reason, which can be costly? All that should be discussed by the doctor before they perform any procedure. And there should be an approval from somebody when they have that done on their pet. So, yes, I think that's a very important point. It's costly to take care of pets, particularly with medical cases. Great. But you can look around for preventative medicine care. Now, if anybody has any questions, where should they write to you at? Just right here to the Pet Buzz. Team at the Pet Buzz, uh, our social media channels. Right. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. So stay tuned. and We'll be back in a buzzworthy moment with our next guest who will be ending our feature for March as Poison Prevention Awareness Month. Stay tuned. Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. The Dynamic Pet Duo is back at you. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We are giving you some pet buzz to get you and your pets through the week. You know, spring is a great time for people to play in the yard with their pets and relax together in the garden. But there are dangers in the garden for you and your animals. And joining us today to talk about those dangers is veterinarian Ibrahim M. Shakri, professor of pharmacology and toxicology at Ross University School of Veterinary Medicine. Dr. Shakri, good morning and welcome to the Pet Buzz again. Good morning and thank you, 
Charlotte and Dr. Fleck for having me. You know, we are just so pleased that you could be here to rejoin us for our last segment of Poison Prevention Awareness Month. So what, what we would like to do is we would like to talk about at this time of the year, so many people we see are going to the home and garden centers all around the country, trying to create beautiful spring and summer yards. So what should these pet owners think about when buying flowers? Uh, pet owners should be aware that many of the flower plants are toxic to pets. And uh, like azaleas, daffodils, amaryllis, tulips, lily of the valley, oleander, and many others. What I would like pet owners to know that most uh, of these toxic plants cause mild toxicity. But I want them to know the, the lethal ones, the ones that can actually cause death. Of these ones that can cause death, oleander is one of them. And one leaf of oleander can actually kill a dog or a cat. Yes. Wow. Another one, yes. Another one that is, uh, the ones that are highly toxic, especially to cats, are lilies, the true lilies. Another one that is not a flower plant, but is very popular in warm climates, is actually sago palm. Ingesting one or two seeds can cause death in dogs. You know, I think we're gonna what we're gonna have to do, Doctor Fleck, is put pictures of these plants up so people can see them on our social media pages. That way, they'll be able to identify them, and that before they go shopping at the garden centers, they'll know what these plants look like. Because sometimes you pick a plant that you like the way it looks. Absolutely, especially Easter exactly. lily. Boom. Okay, so, you know, one of the things I'm curious about, so I just filled in a hole in my yard, and I know it's like this big brown spot, so I have to put some grass seed down. Can grass seed be dangerous to dogs or feral cats who, who wander by? Yes, grass seeds are one of the most common problems seen in pets, especially dogs. They penetrate the skin easily, and they manage to travel and can be lodged almost anywhere in the body because of their pointed head and the arrow-shaped fibers. Oh, interesting. Something to, something to know, because this is the time of the year. People are, like, working on their grass wherever they are, right, Dr. Flack? Yeah. You know, at this time of the year, we're talking about rat poisoning and insecticides, too. Can you comment on that? Yes. Accidental ingestion of rat poisons, which includes warfarins, vitamin D3, or promethaline, and insecticides, especially if they contain organophosphates, carbamates, or pyrethrins, can actually be life-threatening, even when ingested in small amounts, especially in cats. Make sure you keep your pets away. Yeah, you know, it was curious, because I didn't know if you should think if you're going to put rat poison in the yard, is it better to put baits, you know, rat poison, or like the traps in the yard? But I don't know. I mean, the traps could hurt your dog too, correct? Exactly. It depends on what traps, but uh, rat poisons are especially uh, dangerous. One thing I want pet owners to know, that uh, they, uh, the effect is delayed. So sometimes you see the animal ingesting, uh, ingesting a rat poison, and then uh, they don't show any signs until two days later. Wow. So the owner thinks, oh, they are safe. But the reality is they are not. They can be very serious, and they can actually become fatal. Yeah, pick your poison. 
If you use the traps, go to the orthopedic surgeon. If you use the other <laughs> kinds of things, you go to the internist. You go to the emergency room, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's good that we talked about that. So maybe when you go to the garden center, you need to talk to that representative there about the fact that you have dogs and cats and they're in the yard or if you have fencing. Okay, well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with veterinarian Dr. Ibram M. Shokri, professor of pharmacology and toxicology at Ross University School of Veterinary Medicine. He's discussing spring garden dangers. You know, recently, now I was at Home Depot looking at commercial and natural fertilizers. Remember I did that uh, garden segment? Yep, you did. Uh, in Orlando, mm -hmm. you saw that. I did. So I was thinking about showing fertilizer, but one of the things that I realized that both natural and commercial fertilizers can be dangerous. Can you review with our audience about that? Yes, indeed. Uh, I advise pet owners to read the label carefully, especially the precautionary statements of these compounds. Ingesting some fertilizers in large amounts can be toxic to pets, especially those that contain blood meal, bone meal, feather meal, and iron may be especially tasty and dangerous. Toxicity of fertilizers depends on the type of ingredients in them. You know, and that's really, it's funny because I thought about you, Dr. Shockery, when I was looking at the, the natural fertilizer. <laughs> and I'm like, what would Dr. Shokery tell me? I mean, I didn't know, but I'm like, let me just put it back and focus on something else. Cause I saw all that meal and like, um, so I was just like this, even though it sounds natural, maybe it's just old and smelly and tasty for our pets, but it's not good for them. So you were in my head. I wanted to let you know that. <laughs> Well, well, I'm glad we will try to be careful. Well, you know, she gave me this question because I'm from that generation. Mushrooms are always sprouting up here and there. Are they a very big danger to our pets? Absolutely. Several mushrooms of the Amanita species have toxins that can cause liver failure and death in pets. An example is deadly cat mushroom. Identifying mushroom, poisonous mushrooms can be very difficult. If the pet ingested one, contact your veterinarian immediately. Okay, so you should kick those up and then pick up the mushrooms in the yard. Don't you eat should, them. Don't eat exactly. them, but you should check on exactly. a regular basis, like kick them up, pull them out, and then plastic bag them and throw them in the garbage. Okay, so we recently found out that snail and slug bait is made with apple meal or some other sweet-smelling base as to attract those slimy creatures. Does this sweet attract and entice our pets? And what could be the results if they ingest this type of bait? Yes, especially dogs like sweet things. Most chemical baits combine an attractant with an active chemical compound. The two most popular baits for use on home gardens are metaldehyde and iron phosphate. Methaldehyde especially is very toxic to actually birds, dogs, cats, and humans. Uh, manufacturers of iron phosphate beads claim that they are non-toxic around children and pets. Mm. However, they can cause eye irritation. Again, pet owners should read the label. Well, lastly, Dr. Shakri, do we need to be wary of the bees when our pets are outside? Yes. Multiple stings especially are dangerous. Uh, bee stings are poisonous, not just uh, the small puncture wound that causes the pain, 
but a small amount of poison that is ingested is important. Uh, and the effect is very similar to humans. They can cause not just irritation too much, can actually uh, cause systemic allergy and even shock. Well, Dr. Shakri, again, thank you so much for being with us again. Can you please be so kind as to give us a website where we can learn more about garden hazards and pets? Ross University School of Veterinary Medicine website has an extensive list of toxic plants with uh, several pictures for each plant. So uh, you can check that out. And you developed that. Yes. <laughs> and now <laughs> okay. it's me to do more stuff. <laughs> now I have many projects because of being on your show. That's great. We're happy about that. <laughs> well, everyone, that was veterinarian Dr. Abram Shockery, professor of pharmacology and toxicology at Ross University School of Veterinary Medicine, discussing garden dangers for your pet. We're pleased that you liked our weekly feature doing Poison Prevention Awareness Month. Stay tuned as we wrap the show. Know what? Since I got adopted, I've learned a lot about these humans. Uh, I know. I mean, check out these two. It's Flirt City over here. Yeah, I noticed that. It looks like my human is definitely into your human. Oh, look. I think she's getting his number. Nice. Your human's got some sweet moves. Takes after his dog. <laughs> oh, look. They're doing that thing where they put their arms around each other. She kicked up a leg. It's like in the movies. That's awesome. Looks like we're going to be hanging out a little bit more. We're back, and you're listening to the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. That's the bell, signifying it's time to wrap the show. But before we go, we want to give you a preview for next week's show. Next week, we're going to be talking about new films, Cats and Heartworm, and April Fools. April Fools. And Dr. Fleck, can you please thank our guest? Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Brian Heron. Larry Kay and Dr. Ibrahim Shakri. And we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin, coat, and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. And if you have any questions or comments for us, please write us at team at thepetbuzz.com. We will cover your questions and comments on our next show. And just so you know, you can follow along on our social media channels as the show airs. We post our thoughts, notes, and pictures so you can have a thoroughly enjoyable experience as you listen to the show. And if you've missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels and listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. Or you can even listen to SoundCloud.com slash The Pet Buzz. And most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pet. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.